Welcome to the Doxa Dialogue, a podcast about living life on mission for the glory of God. And it's been a few months. You know, last time we had a podcast was the end of April, and, you know, summer is here. We've been taking it easy, but we have not forgotten about the Doxa Dialogue and all of our listeners out there. We're really gearing up for another great season this fall. And in the meantime, I've been preaching a series on the church just throughout this summer. And a couple weeks ago, I preached a sermon on the biblical role of government and the church's responsibility to government. So I am going to just do a podcast on that for the next next couple episodes. And I'm bringing Amanda in here now. Hello, Amanda. Hello, good to be back. I told David we're blowing off the dust on some of this podcast equipment. Yeah, go. yeah, I know, I know. You want to tell everybody how your summer has been? It's been good. Um, we've been traveling a lot like we normally do in the summertime, but we've been been soaking it in, going up to North Carolina, getting in the pool, there you know, you enjoying that. It's been nice. Yeah, every every time when Steven's not doing his yeah, medical yeah. school, you exactly. Gotta, Got to enjoy it a little bit for sure because it all goes so hard. And Mm -hmm. yeah, I think, I think it's been a really great summer for our church. You know, we've, we've really, really seen God move in a mighty way Mm -hmm. in the last, over the last couple months, ever since we had our baptism service on Memorial Day weekend. We started this series in the church. It's gone longer than I planned, (laughs) but it's a good thing. It's, it's just Holy Spirit led. That's all right. That's all right. Uh huh. So, so yeah. That sermon that I preached on government was really fun for me. It was challenging, mm-hmm. and a few people joked because uh, my microphone battery went out that morning. <laughs> so the the po- the podcast that normally just produces our sermon didn't mm-hmm. go out, and of course it was a summer Sunday, so there was a handful of people that were gone. Yep, and we're like, well, you know, let's just take that content. This is this is. I'll just be honest. This is from that sermon, most of it, and I've just like reformatted it a little bit, mm-hmm. and we're gonna do a podcast on it. So that's the plan, and I truly am excited about. Honestly, in about in a month from now, we'll get rolling in another another season of the podcast. Yep. So, David, why do you think Christians are so apprehensive about separating church and state, or really just kind of staying out of politics? Yeah, that's a great place to start. And I would say, honestly, it's because politics has become such a huge thing now that it is people's identity. Like if you say socialism is bad, the way people are hardwired in their education, like you name it across the board, even as early as like television programming for Mm -hmm. kids. I mean, they almost feel like you're insulting them personally mm-hmm. if you say that. And of course, you're not saying like a socialist is a bad person. You're, you're saying socialism as a construct uh, is is bad mm-hmm. <laughs> if you, yes. in this imaginary yes. scenario. But people take it personally. It is their identity. And I would say the Bible as a whole, it teaches truth. It's relevant to science. It's relevant to you know the theory of evolution, psychology, mm-hmm. economics, the role of money. You know, the Bible teaches us relevant principles in life, history, art, literature, sports, like all of that. So why wouldn't the Bible teach us relevant perspectives in politics? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you you yep. just you you have to admit that of course the Bible has something to say about that. And I think as you're going to see here, Jesus is not democrat or republican, like we're far far from that that debate, like that's not what this is about. He wasn't at waving all. the American flag on the cross, you know. It really <laughs> right. wasn't, it wasn't that. <laughs> nope, not that either. Um, but there are things that he taught about morality, mm-hmm. about the state, 
Yep. And of course the church, which is really where our emphasis was. This was one week when we like, as we were going through Romans 12, we hit Romans 13 because it was just an actual application about the, for the church. And a believer has to factor in what the Bible says into their political, their social, and their cultural thinking and practice. Mm-hmm. And when the church completely shies away from the truth of God's word, we are failing in our calling to be the pillar and the buttress of the truth. And I'll be real with you. The Bible teaches what the role of the government is supposed to be, mm-hmm. like what God's intended purpose of the government is. It might not be what we're experiencing now. I tell you what, it's it's not usually the case. Like mm-hmm. most people throughout history have not experienced a government that is actually lined up with what God's intended purpose of yep. the government is. Yep. That's the state of fallen humanity. So we're not here to try to paint a perfect picture of 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 achieving utopia here on earth with the government. Like that's not what this is all about. Mm-hmm. We're not saying, well, you'll see, we're not going to say like rebel against anything. That's of course not like, yeah. we're just talking yeah. about what does the Bible say about government and how should I view the state and where do I fit into that? Like, where do I go from there? So how would you want to go about this then? What, what should the listeners expect from this mini series? Yeah. This is what I want you to do. I really just want you to throw out your concepts and your preferences and what you think the government should be. Just set aside your high school government class, your history of civilization, history of civilization college lectures. <laughs> we're going to read Romans 13, and we're going to define government according to the text. And I do want to say here, I'll add that this is the definitive passage of Scripture about a Christian's relationship with the government. There are other portions of Scripture that support this and go step for step with this and supplement this passage. Um, you know, what we have in Romans 13 wouldn't really make a lot of sense if there wasn't for other Scriptures that also lay that groundwork. But this is the most detailed. This is where the Bible goes very, very deep. So you're looking at the premier passage, and I just want to read that together to start. And as we block out what our preferences are, Mm-hmm. and focus on what God says, I think that'll be really helpful. Yep. So here's Romans 13. Romans 13, verses 1 through 7. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing, Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. So I have heard, and you probably have too at some point, Amanda, Christians who who want a state-regulated universal health care. Yep. And it just sounds so so loving, right? Like, yeah, of course. Like, let's get out there and 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 provide for people's needs. Help That's what the church yep. should do. Yep. Yeah, help everybody. 
I mean, and, and usually when people make this case, they they say, you know, Jesus said, care for the least of us. Mm-hmm. And he said, when you care for the poorest among us, you are doing it for him. So that is very true. Jesus did say that. Mm-hmm. The key is Jesus said that to individuals. Yep. But according to Romans 13, is that something that the Holy Spirit is putting under the umbrella of the government? Mm-hmm. Well, what does the text say here? Doesn't doesn't really say anything about providing health care as a right, mm-hmm. <laughs> does it? Yep. Uh, what do we see in here? Jesus never intended that kind of action to be forced on people by the state. Acts of kindness are always to be voluntary and freely given from a heart of compassion. Yes. What about redistribution of wealth? Is that something that Jesus concerned himself with? I mean, did he ever concern himself with that? <laughs> It isn't something that's listed here as the role of government. Mm-hmm. Now you could say, well, this is an argument, you know, this argument for a limited role of government is an argument from silence. But if you take everything scripture has to say about government, our role in it, as well as what Jesus taught us to focus on, you do get an answer that looks completely foreign to the way any political party in the 21st century America operates. Yeah. So, I mean, sounds like there's a lot to get into. We have <laughs> yeah. a lot to, to go into, you know, before we really jump in. Um, let's, you know, paint the picture of the first century. You know, let's talk about that. Jesus' time on earth and the time of the early church. You know, what was the political climate like for them? Yeah, I think that'll be helpful. Mm-hmm. I mean, slavery was flourishing. Mm-hmm. We we like to just not think about that, but the percentage of population that was enslaved Gosh, would be mind boggling really today. And a lot of the slavery, it is, it is different. I don't want to minimize slavery. Like owning another person is always wrong. Like right. God never condones right. that. Um, it was just baked into the social fabric of mm-hmm. the society though. And it wasn't really always a race on race thing. Like you could be any race and you could be a slave. Right. So right. that was much different than what we think of as Americans today in the 21st century. It was more of just if you were wealthy or not, if you weren't, if you didn't have money, you were more likely you were yeah. a slave for, yeah. for the majority of it. And a lot of times you see Bible translations that use the word bond servant. And mm-hmm. I've seen people make a big deal out of that. Like, Oh, the Bible is trying to cover up like the slavery language. It's like, no, like it really was more like in a lot of cases, Mm-hmm. It was more like an indentured servitude right. type, of thing. Off a debt kind yeah. of a thing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So that was a big part of the slavery. It wasn't the only part, but the bottom line was you had a very, very corrupt system from the top down. Definitely. That like unquestioned authority, like the rulers, yep. dominated dictatorial abuse at the highest levels. Mm-hmm. And as you can imagine, if no one can question the supreme head and he has no one to answer to, things get corrupt and very abusive very fast. Mm-hmm. And so slavery was just a part of all of this. So the easy way to sum it up is it's the age of slavery. It's the age of absolute rulers filled with corruption and domination. And although there were reactions to this singular authority, you know, mm-hmm. 40 years before Jesus Christ, you had the murder of Julius Caesar. I think that's right. Don't quote me on that, but I'm pretty (laughs) sure. But that only really accelerated central power. Mm -hmm. You know, the Caesar then became the commander-in-chief above all soldiers, senators, and he was the supreme ruler for life, deemed to be a god and worshipped. So there was basically no such thing as a middle class. You had the wealthy aristocratic class who paid off brute force to keep the everyday peasants under their thumb. That's the world they lived in. And even in this age of absolute rulers, it wasn't much different in Israel. 
you know, even though King Herod was much lower down the totem pole, he still had unquestioned power in his neck of the woods as long as he played along by the rules and played his own cards right with Rome. Mm -hmm. So he had so much power that on his own whim, he could behead a prophet, Mm -hmm. John the Baptizer, with no consequences. So taxes were extreme. Tax extortioners were permitted to take as much money as they Mm -hmm. could get. That was the world that Jesus came into and the early church lived in. And yet in that world we have here in, in Romans 13, we have Jesus in Matthew 21, render unto God the things that are God's, render unto Caesar that which is Caesar's. So Jesus paid his taxes. Yep, yep. <laughs> a, that's a big point, okay? Uh, that doesn't give us a very good case Dang not it. to pay our taxes. <laughs> right, it. right. I know, we all know that guy, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, Sometimes you know, you're married to that guy. Doesn't want, taxes, you know? <laughs> doesn't want to pay his taxes. He can make a really good case. It sounds yeah, great. Yeah. Like, this is what the government's doing with this yep, money. Yep. Uh, well, you know, that guy's probably in jail yeah, yeah. now. So yeah, if anyone tries to make that case, just ask them, well, what do you do with Jesus and what do you do with Romans 13? So let's just step back and think about the ministry of Jesus. Jesus said, the poor you have with you always, but you will not always have me. Mm. Now, it's a very, a very profound statement. You know, I, it gets a lot of, a lot of tread out there in both, from both directions. Mm-hmm. But Jesus was making the point that it's more important to worship him and show a heart of devotion to Jesus more than it is to take care of needs, you know, that will always be there. So that was his main point. But there is still something to that point, and that is that you are not going to erase poverty. Yeah. It's something that we've always had. And according to Jesus, we always will have. So if ending poverty isn't actually realistic, what do we need to focus on? And that's where a comprehensive look at Jesus' ministry screams one thing loud and clear. He did not come for a political revolution. He came for the hearts of men and women. Amen. He didn't come for economic issues. There was rampant abuse. There was inequality. It broke Jesus' heart. Yes, he ministered to individual needs, but he always went after the heart, yep. never the system. Even though he knew there was a great need for social reform, tax reform, for care of the poor and the sick, his appeal was always to the souls of men. And he didn't participate in civil rights protests. Instead, he gave the good news of love and hope, and he called sinners to repent, and he went after the heart of the individual every single time. Mm -hmm. And overwhelmingly, in the New Testament, the church prioritizes that gospel. That's what we're told to prioritize. Because we, we know the truth. We should know lasting change only happens when the heart changes. Yeah. You can replace the system, but if it's run and operated by a sinful heart, there will be injustice because justice only comes from God. Mm-hmm. So again, the burden of proof isn't on the person who tries to make the case for equity. <laughs> equity can sound nice like from a human perspective. Give everyone a fair start, even if that means you have to hold back. And strip down someone else to boost up the other guy, so be it. Because the fair thing to do is to put everyone on a level playing field. Mm -hmm. You know, that is the message of our culture that is seeping into the minds of the church. But it's not the message of the Bible. Mm -hmm. Or really, it doesn't match the entire record of human history. The Bible teaches that some people uh, do something with the little they are given. And God blesses them with more. Other people squander it or they don't do anything. It's what you do with the talent you are given. 
Some people have more talent and more natural gifting. Everyone is gifted differently. That's reality as much as we try to gloss over that fact. Um, but the message of scripture is apart from God, mankind is wicked and depraved. You know, hint, hint, that's where <laughs> government is going to start to come in. But you take the parable of the talents. Even if everyone was given the same amount, some will bury it and do nothing. Yep. Some will make a profit of five, some of 10, others of 100 fold. So it's not what you're given that matters. It's will you do something with it? And thankfully, our nation for over 300 years has really proven this biblical principle to be true by the, the form of government that we had originally established, when we, which we still have some vestiges of. When, when hard work is rewarded, the result is more pro productivity, which results in more wealth, and then the high water raises all ships. Yep. Like I saw, I saw a little graphic just last night with Julie, and it showed like by each country how many gold medals have been won in the Olympics, oh, and it was you know one of those those charts that just keeps flowing to the right. You start at the very bottom, like this country won three gold medals. Mm -hmm. and can only imagine how cool that is for like a person from that country to have one of those gold medals, yeah. right? Like, yeah. and it just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger. It went to like, and then you, you the the further on it went, almost almost without fail, it was like a more established mm -hmm. nation that had like Christian principles. Then it, then at the very end, it had like USSR and like China. Yeah. You know, of course it has that. But then even like that, Russia and China, like United States has like doubled the number of gold medals they've had. That's pretty wild. And it's, I mean, is it because we have like superior athletes here in this country? Like, you know, pretty sure humans are the same everywhere, right? Yeah, like, yeah, you know, yeah. we're 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 a big country, but whatever. Like, it comes down to the fact that we've had wealth and prosperity. There's yeah. training. There's all these other things that come into place because we've been such a successful country by God's grace. Mm -hmm. So, wealth isn't created by the government, not according to this passage, not according to the real world either. Mm -hmm. So Jesus isn't interested in a new social order. He's interested in a new spiritual heart. It's so important to remember yeah. that when we're talking yeah. about this subject. He's not interested in a new social order. He's interested in a new spiritual heart. A new social order would be temporary, and it would be corrupted over time. Yeah. A new spiritual heart bears eternal fruit. So back to this text. We've really just scratched the surface of what this passage removes from the equation of government. And if it's a shocker to you, remember— we're we're going off of everything you've absorbed from the text not not everything that you've listened to your entire life from cradle to poli sci 401 we're not we're, we're not going off of that we're not going off the news we're going off of what's in the biblical text so we have a pretty limited government here so far mm -hmm. what is the government's actual role then well i mean i could read verses one through seven again but amanda like I'll just I'll just have you share it with us. Like what do you what do you see from these first seven verses about the biblical role of government? So it sounds like the government is established by God for two reasons. Yeah. So Yeah, punishment of evil yep. and protection of good. Yeah. Yep. Right. You know, and I would say as a side note, Adam Smith's Wealth of Nations, which was written in seventeen seventy six. Uh, fits pretty nicely with Romans 13. Smith outlined three important government functions, national defense, administration of justice, which is law and order, mm -hmm. and the provision of certain public goods, transportation and infrastructure. 
You know, to me, that just seems to fit with what Romans 13 is talking mm-hmm. about. Now, our responsibility to this is threefold. If you're looking closely at the text, it's maybe you can help me here too on this, Amanda, but what do you see? Subject yourself to the government. Yep. And then do good. Number two, number three, pay taxes. Exactly. So there it is. We got to pay taxes. Yeah, there no it is again. No matter what, no skirting it. Yep, <laughs> yep. It's pretty straightforward. Subject yeah. yourself to the government, do good, and pay taxes. That's yep. our responsibility. Yep. And I mean, verse six, I can just see the Church of Rome. It's like, wait a minute. pay. We have to pay our ridiculous taxes? You know, the we have to what if the government is completely like wasting this money? Like what if they go to Africa, ship in lions and tigers, throw them in a gladiator arena and like kill us, you know, with, yeah, with, is, with yeah. this. It's never a what if, if we're giving the government money. It's right. pretty much they're always doing something to waste yeah. a little bit of it. Yeah, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. But there's not really an option there. There isn't an option to like, I can't do this even if I don't like the direction right. my government's going right. or they'll do, they'll be encroaching on my American freedom. So no, like, you know, they've even if they've gone way beyond what Adam Smith and the founding fathers ever dreamed of, the church is told to do this. Like that's that's the bottom line. Mm-hmm. And we pay our taxes, we submit to the government. Here's why, according to Romans 13. It's not that you have to obey everything they say. We'll get to that. But you submit, you do good, and you keep your nose clean. You don't rebel, and you don't start a ruckus because of the very baseline core of it all. The government's role is to punish evil and promote good. Mm -hmm. They promote good by punishing evil. And you want that because it frees you up as a church member to love people. And I know this is just about as controversial a subject as you could really dive into, but we're just going through the text together. I'm not giving you my opinion. Amanda, you're not giving your opinion. So we're just taking scripture's lead. And that's it. That's the big picture. And next episode, Mm -hmm. we're going to go a little deeper into this. We got got some points. Then we're going to pull out some more nuggets of truth from this passage. Yeah. So hopefully that's helpful. That's a helpful starter. Maybe maybe it whet your appetite a little bit for Mm -hmm. what's to come. And me and Amanda will be back soon. You are loved.